deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. It all comes down to this. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. After finishing the regular season 10-2 and and claiming the SCC East for the first time since 2009, the SCC Championship will feature what has been by far its most frequent matchup. Not only did Florida and Alabama meet in the very first SEC title game in 1992, but all told they've played each other for the league crown an astonishing seven times going into this weekend. Today, we'll preview the title tilt with punting extraordinaire Johnny Townsend, strength and conditioning coaches Mike Peterson and Mark Campbell, and Gator's own senior writer Scott Carter. Plus, we'll hear from the final honorary Mr. Two-Bits of the season, University of Florida President Dr. Kent Fox. But first, whether the game was played at Legion Field in Birmingham or at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Mick Hubert has been in the booth every time the Gators have competed for the SEC Championship. As he prepares to call Florida's record 11th appearance in the title game, the voice the Gators reflected on the magical run that led the Orange and Blue to this point. Well, it's a pretty special season, and yet we've had some, some great seasons. In 92, we knew it was going to be a, a younger football team. Shane Matthews was a senior, but we were starting two true freshmen on the offensive line in Jason Odom and Reggie Green. So it was a younger team, and yet we had high hopes. But we started that year in 92, 1 and 2, and no one really felt we were going to win the Eastern Division. That was uh, similar to this year in terms of uh, didn't know what to expect coming off of the, the 91 championship, and yet we knew then that was kind of a bridge year because uh, it really got rolling in the 93, 94, 95, 96 with all those four straight SEC titles. And so I would probably liken uh, this season in, in much regard to that 92 season in terms of expectation. In mentioning 92, that was also the first year of the SEC championship. It was the first of many Florida-Alabama meetings for the SEC crown. Yeah, the very first game played over in the historic Legion Field. It was old then, in 1992, (laughs) and it wasn't freezing numerically, but it certainly was freezing to us. It was a very cold day, and the Gators were were ready to play this game. I mean, obviously, uh, we'd gotten in there, and we scored the first touchdown of the game. Uh, Trivia answer, who scored the very first touchdown in the very first SEC championship game? It was Eric Rett, and the Gators led 7 to nothing. But then Alabama scored three straight times, and we're down 21-7. And make no mistake about it, it's not a neutral field when you're playing at Legion Field, where for years Alabama had played three home football games, and they had probably 90% of the tickets, and to this day, they probably control about 90% of the tickets. Anytime you're playing Alabama, it seems, in the SC Championship game, you're, you're a decided underdog from a crowd standpoint, and certainly uh, Saturday be no exception. But we got down in that game. 21 to 7, and then, and then came back and, and tied the game, and we had momentum. I remember we were playing really well, and then the ill fated throw that did Shane threw out in the right flat, and Antonio Langham stepped in front, went about 27 yards, and, and scored the, what proved to be the winning touchdown. About three minutes to 
play, and it was a heartbreaking loss. But the next year, the game was still played in Legion Field in Birmingham, and that was a game where the Gators fell behind, unlike the year before where they had scored first. In this game, Alabama scored first, and the Gators went up 14-13 in the game. And I remember we had a fourth and eight, and Shane Edge from Lake City, our punter, faked the punt, and Shane ran it about 20 yards for a first down. And on the very next play, Terry Dean threw a touchdown pass to Jack Jackson, and uh, we never looked back. And Terry Dean was the MVP of the 93 game. So we split those two championships in Legion Field. And then the very next year in 1994, the game was then switched to Atlanta, the Georgia Dome, and a great venue it was. It was a great game. I mean, we led 17-16 in the fourth quarter, but then Alabama got a pick six like they had in the year before, and they went up 23-17, to about nine minutes to play in that game. But we came back, and this was a game Danny Werfel faked the injury. Went off to the sideline, kind of faked the limp, went over there. Eric Kresser came in. Everybody thought Kresser would just hand off and run the ball, but Kresser threw a 25-yard pass to Ike Hilliard. Surprised everybody. Then we tried a double pass. Werfel threw one out to Doring, and then Doring threw one down the field, hit Aubrey Hill, and we won that game. The next year was one of those years where we did not play Alabama. We played Arkansas in that final and beat them badly. It was 34-3. to Arkansas was a 24-point underdog. They were the largest underdog in the SEC championship game. The next year in the Georgia Dome in 96, we beat them 45-30, to and it was a game of great offensive fireworks in that game. We had some great plays. Danny threw one down to, to Ike Hilliard, caught it somewhere around the 20-15 yard line, and stuck his right foot in that carpet and just about broke the ankles of the defensive back trying to tackle him, and he cut and veered it off to a, toward the right pylon and scored. It was a fantastic play, and that was one that I remember. And then there was a long pass that, uh, that Danny threw to Quez Green. Yeah, and that was the one that really kind of blew the roof off the place because it was a it was a long pass. I think it was like 85 yards. And so it turned out that the Gators win that game, but Texas had upset Nebraska earlier that day, and it set the stage for Florida, which kind of came into that game after they had lost to Florida State in the regular season finale. And all of a sudden, we win that game, and boom, we're back in the national championship, lo and behold, playing FSU again. And then the Gators over New Orleans that year beat them 52-20 for their first national championship. So that was really from Thanksgiving on to the early part of January. That was that was unbelievable. So that that's some of the early history when the Gators were at their zenith in 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. That streak's never been duplicated. That was a long run of consecutive appearances in the SEC Championship for Florida. But then, even though Steve Spurrier was still on the sidelines, there was a little bit of a drought. It was. You know, the league uh, defenses, it started to catch up a little bit with Steve's offense uh, uh, because the first six or seven years, it was just, we had everything we wanted. I mean, they, you know, they couldn't cover us. But they had started close the gap on us a little bit. We didn't go to the SEC championship game in 97. Didn't go in 98. I remember thinking we need to get back because uh, if we don't get there this year in 99, it's going to be three years. And then you're wondering, have we lost a little of the magic? And we got back into the game in 99 against Alabama. We scored first and then they scored 34 points after that and, and really blew us out 34 to 7 in that game. So then we go back in year 2000. And again, there was even more urgency because now, even though we were there last year in 99, we haven't won it since 96. So it's four years now, and in that year we did not play Alabama, and we beat Auburn pretty good in that game. Rex Grossman had a big game. Rex threw for four touchdowns, and Ernest Graham ran wild in the game, and uh, they weren't any match for us. So, so we had won it again in 2000, and it was the last time that Steve Spurrier would win the SEC championship game. So that six-year drought between 2000 and 2006 actually matches the same drought Florida just ended by getting back there on a Jim McElwain, but there was a little bit of a stretch there where they weren't making appearances in Atlanta, and then Urban Meyer changed 
change that. Yeah, and you know, in 06, uh, as I recall, it's been nine years, but uh, we won a lot of close games and we weren't blowing people out, but we were pretty dynamic as the season's unfolding. We're not aware that we're watching the national championship team, but that's kind of what happened. They just found ways to win, and you know, we, we beat Arkansas 38-28 in that SEC championship game, and the play I remember in that game was that we punted down to Arkansas at about the four-yard line. They had a, a young guy back there that muffed the punt, and we had a guy named Wandy Pierre-Louis, who uh, I believe he was from Haiti, hadn't played a lot of football in his life, but was on the Gator team, and he recovered that ball in the end zone for a touchdown. That was the turning point in that game, so we won it in 06, and uh, even though Tim Tebow had the Heisman Trophy winning year of 07, we did not go to the championship game that year, but then returned in 2008. 2008-2009, those are the matchups a lot of people, especially younger Gator fans, remember the back-to-back years of big-time Florida-Alabama showdowns. You know, when Nick Saban took over at Alabama, uh, I think he was 7-6. and six. It was just very pedestrian. Yeah, this just didn't happen overnight where they've got that program rolling today. It took him about three years to really get it going, but you could see by the year 2008, they were for real, and they were pretty well stocked up, which, you know, as I said, maybe the Gators were in this game a year or two early. So if you could project maybe to 2017, 2018, maybe that's where the Gators could be in terms of where Alabama was by 08 and 09. If you give Coach McElwain and his staff those couple of extra years to recruit, that's what Nick Saban had. And so it was a heck of a game in 2008. And again, we were looking at a national championship team in Florida. But this was a tough ball game in 2008. We trailed after three quarters in the game. And, and, and although Tim Tebow had done so much in his career, and largely because the Gators were ahead a lot, he didn't really have any fourth quarter comeback wins. The graphic you always see, particularly in, in the NFL, among those NFL quarterbacks, how many fourth quarter and overtime victories a certain quarterback has, but I remember people were questioning, can Tim Tebow lead you to a victory when you're down in the fourth quarter? And we outscored Alabama 14 to nothing in that fourth quarter and, and won that game. That was a big win for Florida, and, and, and yet it was a win that probably helped to propel Alabama because they became back really motivated the next year, and I believe their offensive coordinator was one Jim McElwain over there in 2009, and they just ran roughshod on the Gator defense, which was pretty good. I think we give up almost 500 yards to Alabama in that game and got beat rather soundly. I think it was 32-13. to 13. That snapped a 22-game winning streak for the Gators. And uh, I don't know that we knew it at that moment, but certainly the program had peaked. Uh, I don't know that we knew what was going to lie ahead the next couple of years, but obviously... Uh, you know, uh, it was probably peaked with the 08 championship, and although 09 was a good season, uh, not winning it and getting decimated in, in that 2009 game uh, kind of set us on our heels for a few years. To bring this full circle, in 92, Florida-Alabama met in the first SEC championship game. They will meet again this year with lots of storylines. Well, and as Coach McElwain has said, it is Florida and Alabama, and that's the way it should be. And he's exactly right. So while we're very, we're very happy, uh, I don't know that we're satisfied. And, and we know it's a bright future, and we know we go in as, as a heavy underdog in this game. But as we've seen the wacky world of college football this year, where anything can happen, you'd be a little bit crazy if you think there's no way that Florida can win the game. Uh, I don't know how it, it could happen, but it can happen because we've seen the craziness of college football this year. You just got to go out there and play every play. The Gators have had a run of great punters in recent years, highlighted by Chaz Henry winning the Ray Guy Award in 2010. 
Johnny Townsend hasn't reached that plateau just yet, but this year he was one of 10 semifinalists for the prestigious honor and still has two more years ahead of him. The redshirt sophomore has emerged as a significant weapon in the first year under Jim McElwain, and we asked him for his perspective on what's taken the Gators back to the top. Well, you know, the, the talent and the players have always been here. You know, it, it just took a, a couple changes in the program and, and coaching staff to um, to really bring it out of us. And, and I think Coach Mack and his entire staff, including the strength staff, have done a really good job with us so far. Now, while the offense has really struggled at times this year, it's allowed you to shine. So what do you feel like has been the key for you to having such a successful year? I owe it, owe it mainly to my gunners and, and punt unit. Um, they do the majority of the work from uh, you know helping me not get punts blocked and t- to my gunners getting downfield and forcing fair catches and, and pinning balls inside the 5- and 10-yard line. As a punter, if you're getting more work, that means, in essence, the offense is not scoring. So how do you view your role and how does your success compared to how the team is performing? Well, I guess my position, no one really wants to see me out there. You could say that. But um, if, if I do my job right, it can, it can force long fields for opponents and and gives the defense a good place to start working. And, um, you know, it's real difficult for the other team to score if, if they're having to drive 80, 85, 90, 95 yards to, to score points. What has it meant to you to hear Coach Mack talk about how you're such a weapon for the team and how important you've been this season? Uh, it's a huge honor to, to get recognition from Coach Mack for that. Um, you know, I just try to do my job each Saturday, and I'm happy it's becoming noticed. You had an interesting situation. As a freshman, you were supposed to redshirt. Then Kyle Christie went into a little bit of a slump, and midseason, you came in and took over the job. Then last year, Kyle got it back, and you did take your redshirt year as a sophomore. So talk about that whole process and, and how that played out. It was actually a good process for me. I, I got to compete with one of the best punters in college football, and you know, I got to work with him for two years. I learned a lot. I got to develop. You know, I think long-term it helped a lot more than, than if I were just to walk right in and start playing my freshman year. Um, you know, Kyle played a huge role in, in helping me develop you know, each day and get better with, with what I'm trying to do. Some people might not know this, but at one point you were committed to Ohio State. You were personally recruited by Urban Meyer, and then you flipped and came to Florida. So what happened during that process that ultimately got you to Gainesville? Well, I had always been a Gator fan. I, I grew up a Gator fan. Both my parents went here. My older brother just graduated from here. My uncle played here. And I started going to a bunch of camps my the end of my junior year of high school trying to earn scholarships. And Ohio State was, was one of the first offers I received. You know, I loved everything about the program. I loved the coaching staff, um, championship program. And so I spoke with my family and committed there, and I was very happy with that. But, you know, in the, in the back of my mind and in my heart, um, I always wanted to be a Gator. And um, a couple weeks before signing day, Coach Muschamp called me up and, and offered me a scholarship. And, you know, it took a lot of thought and prayer, and you know, I, I think I made the best decision in, in deciding to come here and, and stay home in Florida. Now, you also played quarterback and free safety in high school, so what made you choose the less glamorous path of being a punter going forward in your career? I just had more opportunities at bigger programs um, being a punter. I had a bunch of um, attention from Ivy League schools and smaller schools to uh, you know, play some safety and outside linebacker. But yeah, I received a lot more attention from bigger schools to punt. So you know, this is my dream school, and, and yeah, I'm happy I'm here. There's a lot of stereotypes out there about punters and kickers. A lot of times you guys get a bad rap, and people say they're not really full football players. What do you say to people who don't know what goes on behind the scenes or the work that you guys put in? We uh, do the same off-season program in, in lifting and conditioning as, as the entire team does. But um, you know, I, I actually am, am, am a big fan of contact. I actually like uh, running downfield and, and trying to hit somebody every once in a while. That gives you full football player credentials <laughs> right there. What, what's the, the biggest hit you've ever laid? Do you remember? Gosh, 
I really haven't had one this year, which is, I guess, a good thing because <laughs> the biggest hit I ever had was in high school. Nothing in college yet. It's a little bit more difficult to have big hits. Someday, though. Gonna, <laughs> Maybe. You got, you got we'll two see, more yeah. years to get that big <laughs> exactly. hit. Exactly. There's been a long history of, of great punters here at Florida, specifically in the last 15 to 20 years. Which guys have you been in touch with and maybe have worked with? One of the guys that pops in my head is Chaz Henry. I've stayed in contact with him ever since he graduated from here. He's always been a role model of mine. And um, he texted me a couple weeks ago, and, you know, we stay in touch and, and talk about the, the punting game and, and things like that. Are there any guys you look at right now in the NFL who you look at and you say, I'm going to punt more like that guy, and that's, that's my model for what I want to do? Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to model my game towards Thomas Morstead with the Saints. Um, I've got the opportunity to work with him a couple times at various camps throughout high school and, and college. And yeah, I try to model my game after him a little bit and the passion that he has um, for what he does is something special. Now, you won the Nick Saban punting competition back in high school and, and were recruited by Alabama as well. So as we go into this game against the Crimson Tide, what was your experience like with Coach Saban, and what did you see about that program that makes them so successful? You know, it was really tough because I also had a BAM offer, and I, I visited there several times, and I developed a great relationship with Coach Saban and, and Coach Williams, who's a special teams coach. I think what we're doing with our program now directly mirrors, you know, what Bama's doing. It's a championship program, and I have a lot of respect for, for their players and coaches and what they do. Now, your brother goes to school here, but he's not on the football team. So what's that dynamic like of having someone who's so close, but yet outside of this framework of the, of the team? Um, you know, it's nice. He's, he's kind of a mentor sometimes, and he actually lives with me. He's one of our roommates. Um, he just graduated from here. Um, but I also have a little brother who is a freshman at Tennessee, and he's a punter as well. So, you know, we, we stay in contact about that. Now, he's up at Tennessee. Is he trying to compete with the, the kicking cold quits? Is he starting a, a new family <laughs> up there? Uh, he might be trying to. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just got up there. He's a freshman there now, so he's working real hard to, to see the field. How do you explain that? I mean, multiple guys from the same family as punters. Is that something that you picked up early and you were taught by your dad? I mean, where, where does the, a lineage of punting come from? Well, I was really the first one to start punting in my family. Freshman football, I was just the guy that would punt it the furthest. And then I just started really trying to work on my form, like junior and senior year, and get better with that. And my little brother Tommy just kind of followed in my footsteps and, and picked up some of the things I was working on. This may seem like a dumb question, but people really wanted us to ask this. Does your foot ever get sore or tired <laughs> when you're having to punt frequently during a game? Yeah, we did punt a lot last game, but um, my leg is pretty sore and tired. Not my foot, but yeah, my leg is pretty sore and tired if, if we end up punting a lot. You're originally from Orlando. What's your favorite tourist attraction in Orlando? I would just have to say it's Universal. I've gone there a couple times as a kid, and it's pretty fun with all the rides and roller coasters and things. So Universal Studios is probably my favorite one. There was a video that came out recently. Someone remixed Jumpman by Drake and made it Puntman, and it was starring you. What was your reaction when you saw that? Yeah, it, it really draws more attention to punting. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really cool video and really creative, and I send a lot of props to, to the guy that made it. Um, it got a lot of attention from media and, and a lot of friends and family, so you know, I'm, I'm really happy it, it got out there. We talk about game prep each week, and you always look at film and the, the defense talks about what the offense is doing and vice versa. What is your game prep like from week to week, and does it differ based on the opponent? Um, it does because uh, there's a lot of great returners and, and rush teams in the SEC, so you know, we kind of change our game plan as a team depending on, on who we're facing. And um, you know, each week I always have to make some minor adjustments to my form and, and things like that. This week you've got Alabama, the SEC championship. You guys are a huge underdog. What's the mindset of the team going into this game? You know, we're not paying attention to what, what anybody's really saying because, you know, we, we know we have the players and the mindset and the approach and the ability um, to beat anybody. So we're, we're just going to go in there with that mindset and, and play our, our best game.
While the Gator Nation is everywhere, it's also nice to keep former players in the fold and helping the Gators get stronger. That's literally and figuratively the case with Mike Peterson and Mark Campbell, who starred for the Gators in the 90s and now work on the strength and conditioning staff. Jeff Cardozo had a chance to speak with both of them leading up to the SEC championship, so let's first hear from Campbell, a former defensive tackle who remembers playing in the very first title game held at Legion Field in 1992. Well, I knew uh, we going into that game, um, you know, a lot of people considered that, you know, considered us to be underdogs, but at the same time, we kind of knew what we were capable of doing. And uh, we were very prepared and uh, ready, and uh, we knew we had to be on our A game to play these guys. So how much does that mindset now correlate into what you guys do now? Florida's underdog, I mean, people giving them a chance, but as you know, any given Saturday, anything can happen. Well, you know, the thing about this game of football is funny-shaped ball, funny game, you know, anything is possible. I mean, it, you know, it, it takes one injury and one thing for everything just go bad. But, uh, you know, you know, these guys know, man, knows, knows what's at stake, and um, they're put, they've put in the work, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, they're ready, and you know, they've been looking forward to it. You know, it's been a long time coming, so uh, they're, they're ready and excited. You've been a part of losses before, certainly, um, so, so that's no, nothing different. But, you know, how have the guys handled this loss uh, to Florida State last week and getting prepared for this week it hurt but at the same time you know you know the good thing that it was there's another game to be played so you had to you know have a short-term memory to be able to get ready for this game you know it is what it is it happened you know we learn from it and we move on is uh just the the mindset been good guys flying around in the weight room all week getting ready to go yeah everybody's positive man you know they understand that's one game you know, one game, and then, you know, it's a chance now for them to uh, go play the next game, which is Alabama. And um, whatever happens, happens. They're positive. They're not worried about the losses. You, if, you, if you sit here and worry about the losses, man, you know, real quick, you can lose another one, you know, and, not, you know, and, and nothing, comes up, nothing comes out of it. Coach McElwain uh, this week has talked about how physical Alabama is as a team. So does that change what you guys do this week, or is it still just trying to go through and, and get these guys better? Well, you know, they are a physical team, and we just have to have our guys very prepared. I mean, uh, Alabama has always been physical, you know. They've been at the top for the last couple of years. It's nothing new, you know. We just hope that we can stay in the game with them and, um, you know, try to get a win. Next up, here's Mike Peterson, an All-American linebacker for the Gators during the mid-'90s who has a clear message to the players going into this weekend. Just enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. Soak it in. You know, um, you know, it, it's so hard to get here. You know, so this is a moment that you you want to remember and you're going to remember the rest of your life. I tell a lot of the kids, a lot of the guys, you know, this this game is actually bigger, more excitement than a lot of bowl games that I played in. You know, so I always remember this. You know, the, the fans they're gonna love it, and you know, SEC they 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 give you such a great warm welcome here. You know, it's a, it's a great environment. I know you're being modest. You and I were in school at the same time together. So when I was playing baseball, I was watching you guys from afar. You guys were here all the time. So it's uh, not that, not that uh, hard to get here. But just how special is this place to, to be able to play in this game? Well, it's big, man. You're talking about one of the top conferences in college football. You know, To make it here, you know, you beat some great teams on, along the way. 
you know, so it's a good feeling. And like I say, you know, they, they treat you big time here. I think the guys are a little excited. They're getting a little feel for that. And, um, you know, we're just happy to be here. I know last week didn't go the, the way you guys wanted to uh, losing to Florida State. And you know, playing this game, every week's different. So what has been the preparation this week to get these guys ready? And, and how have you seen their mindset? Well, I think, you know, Coach Mack did a great job. We moved on. It's life. You're not going to win them all. You know, you, you, you hope you do, but sometimes you're not going to win them all. But the thing is, you, you get up, you know, you get back on that horse. And, and strap up and, and keep rolling. You guys know that Alabama's a really physical team. So has there done anything different strength-wise to uh, to get these guys ready this week? Man, we're a physical team. Yeah. You know, so you're looking at two physical teams going at it. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the guys. You know, they're pumped and ready to go. So um, it's going to be a good one. I know when, when you talk to guy about the guys, you get a smile on your face. So is it pretty cool to still be a, a part of football now and being back here in Gainesville? Man, it's a dream come true. You know, I, I grew up here. You know, I had a chance to play ball here and to, back, to be back helping the guys. You know, I, I think the guys kind of tend to, to listen to me a, a different way. You know, knowing a guy who's, who's sat in those same chairs, who's strapped up those same pads the way they're doing now. You know, um, I, I tend to get their ear a little different, you know, and I take advantage of it. Are there any guys uh, as strong as you were back in the day that I'm on this never, team? Never, never. I tease them all the time. If they want to strap it up and go at it, we can do it any time, any place. Among the many storylines surrounding the SEC title game, maybe the most interesting is the mentor-mentee Jedi-Padawan dynamic between Nick Saban and Jim McElwain. We sat down with Scott Carter to break down the matchup and started by addressing the elephant in the room. You know, just in the uh, the pregame chatter leading up to this game, uh, a lot of talk about the, the McElwain and Saban connection. And, and Jim McElwain has been very uh, complimentary of Nick Saban, credits him with so much of his success and just climbing the ladder. Because up until that point when he was at Alabama, Jim McElwain had spent most of his career at smaller schools. He actually landed out of Alabama after one season at Fresno State. The coach there at the time was Pat Hill, who had worked with Nick Saban in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. So he knew Nick Saban needed an offensive coordinator, and uh, he called him and said, hey, I got a guy here who you might want to consider. And Jim McElwain and Nick Saban did not know each other. And uh, anyway, one thing led to another. He got the job. And uh, you can obviously tell from just listening to McElwain talk about Saban, uh, how much uh, he respects him. And there's no arguing what Alabama has done under Nick Saban. They've won 10 games now, eight consecutive seasons. Uh, they've just pretty much dominated the SEC. As you mentioned, both coaches have been very complimentary of one another, but yet when it comes down to it, the familiarity will have an impact on the game. So in what ways do you think that will manifest itself? In Alabama's case, Jim McElwain saw that defense for those four years when he took his offense out there to practice against those guys. So he says one thing against Alabama, they are going to take away whatever you like to do best. It's guaranteed. When you look at Florida's offense, obviously this isn't going to look like his offense in two or three years when he has his kind of players. So they're making the most of what they have with Treon Harris at quarterback, Kevin Taylor at running back. You know, they moved Brandon Powell to receiver this year just to try to utilize him in a role that they can uh, use effectively. So, you know, Alabama, they're going to look at this film. They're going to study it. They're going to be prepared. I just look at it as a matchup, Adam, that if Florida has saved anything this year, this is the game that you're going to see it, whether it's trick plays, something totally different with Treon Harris, the way they're using him. Because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of secrets between the two coaches and and Alabama they prepare so well Jim McElwain said when you look at what Nick Saban and Kirby Smart do on defense 
it actually is rocket science. He says it's fascinating to see these guys prepare and how much they know about the opponent before their first snap. They're going to have to do better than they did against Florida State or that shutout streak will finally end. So we're wondering if we'll see some trick plays, things out of the ordinary from Florida. Pretty obvious what Alabama is going to do with the probable Heisman Trophy winner in Derrick Henry. One thing that's helped Jay Coker, the first-year quarterback, is that he's had Derrick Henry all year to turn around and give the ball to. And Henry is not disappointed uh, in the Iron Bowl last week. 46 carries. 271 yards, and he's been doing that all year. He enters this game, Adam, uh, only 94 yards shy of Herschel Walker's single-season SEC rushing record, which is 1,891 yards, set in uh, 1981. So 34 years that record has stood. You know, you got two backs this year, Derrick Henry and Leonard Fournette, challenging that record. Shows you how good the SEC is in running backs, but these guys are a little bit different. The Gators saw Leonard Fournette earlier this year in Baton Rouge. He gained 180 yards on him. He's more of a powerful, low-to-the ground runner. Derrick Henry is just, I think Jim McElwain said the visual is a fast-moving semi. He's a 6'2", well over about 240, and I mean, he can run over you, can run past you, and he's, he's got quicker feet than a lot of people expect out of a guy that size. The thing that amazes you is how many yards he gets after the first guy actually hits him and bounces off of him. <laughs> it's pretty impressive, his yards after contact, and I don't know what the percentage is, but I just know this, it's a lot. But obviously guys up front are doing a heck of a job too for them. they got great balance, do a great job in their play actions. they got the quarterback playing really well. There's a number of different ways you can break a game like this down, but really these two teams are known for their defenses, and the numbers bear that out as well. Yeah, Adam, uh, you've got the number second-ranked defense nationally in Alabama. Florida's number five. They're basically in the top five in most of your major statistical categories and nationally defense. Alabama's been at that level for a while. Florida has too, and they both had excellent seasons in finding ways to slow down other opponents. And, the, you know, Alabama has done it the way they've always done it, just a lot of players. Uh, they rotate a lot of guys in and out. They're very, very physical. They have big size up front. you got players like Eddie Jackson in the secondary, Reggie Raglan at linebacker, Jonathan Allen outside has nine sacks. So, you know, it's it's going to be a huge challenge for a Florida offense that managed only 262 yards against Florida State and has had its trouble. They're ranked 104th nationally, whereas Alabama's offense, they're ranked 51st nationally. So they're not in the elite category there behind Coker, but Henry does most of the work. And then for Florida, it's going to have to be uh, slow down Henry and, you know, guys maybe get a turnover. When Coker does have to pass, you know, you need a big play maybe out of the secondary. So Either way, both of these teams have excellent defenses, and and you're going to see a a game where points could be at a premium uh, certainly early if neither team's turning the ball over. Ultimately, there's no avoiding what happened in the Swamp this past week, and it was a really disappointing performance for Florida, and the fans are feeling it as well. So internally, what's the sense of the team going into this game when they're a huge underdog and no one's really expecting them to go there and win? Jim McElwain basically told him, look, uh, the sun rose. How are you going to treat this new day? We've got a great opportunity ahead of us. We get to measure ourselves against the best in college football right now. And I think uh, that's kind of his message. No matter what happens, Adam, I think the takeaway from Jim McElwain is that, you know, considering what the expectations were going into this year, they were going to have a good season, win or lose on Saturday. But there's no better way to 
just cap off what has really been a surprising season by going up there and, and really challenging Alabama for the SEC championship and uh, and just showing that what happened against Florida State, they were able to put that behind them. And I, I think that's just this team's mindset right now. They're flushing that as fast as they can and see what happens on Saturday. We're getting ready to play a football team that arguably is the best football team in all of college football and by all means is the best football program uh, over the last uh, probably eight years of any football team or, or football organization or program there, there is. While most Gators will be in Atlanta this weekend for the game, there's another significant event taking place back in Gainesville as new University of Florida president Dr. Kent Fox will be inaugurated in the O'Connell Center. He made waves across the street last weekend as the honorary Mr. Two-Bits for the Florida State game, and Gator Vision's Kelly Price asked him if he was nervous before his big debut. I was. I've never led a cheer before. It's amazing. 90,000 fans. What were you thinking as you're running out there? I didn't want to mess it up, and I wanted to point the right direction, say the right words, and blow the whistle the right time. It was wonderful. What does it mean to be able to do this the week of your inauguration? Oh, this is special, particularly when we're going to play Florida State in this amazing interstate rivalry. What does it mean to be able to come out here in front of 90,000 and have everyone cheering with you? Oh, I love our students and our fans. This is really special. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and please give us a review to help the official podcast of the Gators continue to grow. Now, can the Gators shock the world in Atlanta? Find out at 4 o'clock on Saturday with live coverage of the SEC Championship on CBS and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next podcast comes your way next Thursday and dives headfirst into Gator basketball, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. And I'll see you in Atlanta.